Welcome to the Gain Momentum Podcast, focusing on timeless lessons from global industry leaders about how to grow and scale a business in hospitality, travel, food service, and technology. I'm Jason Imanis here with my co-host, Adam Mogolansky. How are you, sir? Doing fantastic. Very good. Our guest today is Jeff Bozdavka, Chief Executive Officer. (laughs) Chief Executive Officer of Noland, hospitality veteran, even spending 20 plus years with Hyatt. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Doing great, Jason. Thank you. And uh, if you haven't heard it before, your voice is very calming and very soothing. Uh, So uh, I'll try not to nod off at the conversation today, but great to be with you guys. Sounds good, Adam. So our format today is we frame this podcast around four key questions that we ask that are very important for entrepreneurs and hoteliers and everyone who is an aspiring tech vendor would love to know. So we're going to dive right into the first question. Jeff, when it comes to scaling a business, what is the single piece of advice you would give entrepreneurs from your perspective as a professional in hospitality technology? Adam, that's a a great question. And one that uh, honestly, it's somewhat challenging uh, to answer, especially when you say that single uh, piece of uh, advice uh, and uh, seeing uh, we've got that filter and narrowing it down. I'd suggest it's really how you as a, having a responsibility for a hospitality technology company and you know, a company that is caring for and delivering services to the industry is to really be very careful in how you look at and define uh, your product offering think all too often entrepreneurs and founders of technology companies get fixated on the technology that they miss, that they'll lose focus or forget about the importance of that total package. There's more than just the technology platform or the feature set itself. Unfortunately, I've, uh, you know, with uh, the number of years uh, I've spent in the industry, I've seen many great ideas, many phenomenal products die on the vine because the, the founders, uh, those that bring those ideas forward, didn't necessarily think through all that was required to bring their product to market and thinking through activation and scaling the full package. Uh, really including our deployment and support. So suggested really need to think broadly, and it's not just uh, if you're a SaaS company, software as a service, it's more than just the, the software. You really need to look at it all encompassing and be sure you understand not only what it is you're bringing forward, but how it is being viewed and received and how it will be ingested on the customer side. I, I like to talk with um, software providers that start with the problem. They can articulate the problem that they're solving with their software and make that connection. And I think that's probably a lot of what you're talking about. It's a lot of times people are creating technology for te- technology's sake versus, hey, this is the problem we're solving. And it's not just for these three. <laughs> it, it can address these 12 different types or something like that. Absolutely, Jason. You know, you know, starting with the end in mind and understanding the problem, or you know, I phrase it maybe even slightly different, 
realizing you're delivering and helping deliver an outcome. What is that outcome? What is the intended benefit of your end user? Uh, you know, although I am CEO and have responsibility for a hospitality technology provider, my background, I've had the opportunity to both work as a hospitality technology provider, but also as a hotelier. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, 20 years with Hyatt over two separate stints gives me that opportunity to really understand first and foremost the problems that hoteliers are encountering and, you know, how you can bring solutions to remove friction and deliver an outcome, but need to be very outcome focused. I'm wondering, um, you've spent so much time at Hyatt and you're bringing that expertise over to the the vendor side in hospitality. And that's a very unique combination of skill sets you don't quite see. And I'm wondering, could you speak to one specific example that you might have for how that knowledge transfer has applied and helped you? Yeah. And I really think, you know, also Adam, in looking at it, it's helped me both as a hospitality technology provider, understanding, you know, the business and uh, you gentlemen know as much as, as I do that the industry we're selling into is really complex, you know, and it's not just selling into or developing solutions for an individual property. There are so many other stakeholders beyond what happens on property from an ownership group to a management company to a brand or a chain, each have different needs and expectations. So really having had that opportunity to work uh, for a company such as Hyatt, the opportunity to really understand and appreciate just how nuanced and complex the, the business is itself. But then also, I think, you know, when I rejoined, as I mentioned, two separate stints at Hyatt in between years 12 and 13, I had the opportunity to work for uh, Pegasus Solutions, ran uh, the Global Commission Processing Business, now known as uh, Onyx Center Source and responsible for global service delivery. That, as I gained those experiences, uh, you know, that really helped me look at and think differently on how I interacted with the vendor community when I had responsibility for global hotel technology. So kind of uh, walking a mile in the shoes on both sides has really you know, helped, I think, open my eyes to be able to provide better solutions. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Adam, another you know, example is our industry has so many great individual pinpoint solutions offered by many different companies taking the time to understand the integration and how that that comes together. And the you know, well-intended technology often breaks because of those points of integration. So really having that opportunity from, to view it from both sides helps me empathize both whether I'm a provider of solutions or procuring solutions. Yeah, it was the word that came to mind, empathy. That's powerful. <laughs> yep. Very much so. I have one more follow-up question, and it's more so for context. Uh, you, you worked at Hyatt uh, on the buyer side. What motivated you to move over to the seller side, to the vendor side? So uh, I was often asked around annual performance time if uh, I 
was a flight risk uh, at Hyatt. And I am who I am largely because of, of Hyatt with a number of years. And having worked at, in a technology provider space in the private equity uh, world, it was just, it provided me, it was the right opportunity. It was the right private equity firm, which I think for founders and entrepreneurs, and as they look at need of capital and possible exit, understanding you know the private equity firms. And uh, Serent is one of those private equity firms I really respect and would love to work with. And then, you know, the opportunity for me to, you know, exercise muscles that I hadn't exercised for a while, obviously being in a big organization like Hyatt and then going in and running an organization much, much smaller really gave me an opportunity to learn and grow and bring that forward. And group and events is critical to the recovery of uh, the industry and my passion is hospitality. And this was an opportunity for me to carry on the legacy of uh, one of the best business advisors, uh, mentors, and friends I had, Bob Post, who uh, unfortunately passed away as a result of COVID, who was uh, before me uh, at uh, Nolan. So uh, there was a lot uh, that went into the consideration uh, for me to uh, leave the friendly confines uh, sitting in Chicago here. I can say friendly confines and, uh, you know, moving back into a PD-backed uh, hospitality technology provider. It's very exciting and very different, obviously. Yeah, it's always a mixture of factors, but it's v- very good to know. I-, I love hearing about people's background. For question number two, what are the common pitfalls or failures you have witnessed that business owners should look to avoid when scaling their business? Another great question. I think I touched on a, a bit of it uh, in in the first, but I would start probably with, uh, and uh, Jason, I think you, you said this as well, is not understanding the operational and or technical environment your clients and prospects are operating within. You may be the, you know, selling a particular solution, but recognizing what the pain points are, what the anticipated outcome, how whatever solution you're bringing forward will fit into that ecosystem is critically important. Uh, now more so ever, uh, more so than ever, as things continue to evolve and operate. Integration is critical. And you as a provider, us as providers of solutions need to own and have responsibility and understanding how those solutions will be integrated. And it's not just at activation, but how do they stay integrated and how to ensure that they continue to work after that initial day. Another area is really understanding that on the client side, underestimating a client's ability to embrace change management. We're selling solutions, and as new solutions are coming in, even if they're replacing older technology or incumbent solutions, there is a high level of change that is required. And change does not come easily. And oftentimes in talking with others uh, you know, in the hospitality technology provision space, 
get frustrated with their, their backlog of implementations. And there's often a, time, a common theme is the person who bought isn't necessarily the person who is responsible for activating. And there's many other priorities and factors in play. And the success of your solution and how it is viewed once in your customer is largely dependent on their ability to embrace change and manage change management. So underestimating that and candidly not taking ownership of that oftentimes ends up in a either frustrated customer or you know, just ultimately something that doesn't work and ultimately delivering, it doesn't deliver you know, the outcome. So a, a few different things wrapped in there, but I think it really comes to meeting the customer where they are, understanding and appreciating where they are, empathizing that your solution, while it's going to bring value, is also going to bring change and possibly friction and helping your customers and clients manage through that, I think is oftentimes underestimated. How are you managing that, that change management? Is, do you rely on customer support? Is it salespeople who, who stick with, after the sale, they're sticking with the account? What's that look like? Uh, yeah, uh, Jason, it's a little bit of all of that, plus a bit more. And uh, I'm going to go back before uh, my days uh, at Noland and uh, when one of the, the business uh, units uh, that Pegasus had was selling central res platforms. And that is huge. That is you know, the theme of and what we ended up doing is we took on some of that responsibility in addition to ensuring that we were not overselling, overpromising what the solution could actually do and taking the time to understand it was properly configured. We also took on responsibility for change management and project management. And we redrew where that line was of responsibility we inserted ourselves into the organization. So really it depends on the size and the complexity of you know, the solutions. In the case of Noland, you know, we have a very consultative onboarding process. Our platform is largely driven based on competitive set information. And we take the time to educate our users that competitive sets change and your competitive set may be different in a group and event space than it is in transient. So taking the time and investing in proper onboarding in a consultative onboarding process, be it number one. Number two is after you activate the customer, that you follow up with that customer a week after activation, 30 days after activation, 90 days after activation, to see if they have any questions, to see if their business needs change. And then what we also do is you know, monitor activity. In a software as a services company, we all have the ability to monitor our customer engagement with our platform. And using that data to understand not only how they're using the platform and inform changes on how you can improve the product, 
But notice if there are fundamental changes in how your customers are using the platform, you're proactively reaching out to the customers. I noticed you used to log into our system two, three times a week. Something changed and uh, for the last three weeks, nobody's accessed. Why is that? Well, Sally left uh, and she didn't pass that training along or something along those lines happened. So you really need to own the customer, not just up to activation, but ongoing and after. And you can learn so much from those interactions to inform product. And then the ability as you expand, as we expand our products and solutions, it's much easier to bring those in by staying in control. It's not a you know, get them implemented and move on. You really need to own in that customer engagement model. Yeah, your your Pegasus example reminded me of where I came from. It's a complicated implementation. And we had several project managers on the big deals, the big implementations. You, I mean, you had to have a project manager. So the project manager worked with support. And also many times, most times, our salespeople were they stayed in the in it as well, and and yeah. an executive. There was always be an executive sponsor as well, and it, you know, it just took a took a village, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly, taking that village, taking the time at kickoff to make sure everybody understands uh, what their role is and what is expected of them, encouraging full and active participation, not just observation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and instill that sense of, of ownership and you take time and especially in those larger implementations, you celebrate the successes, you have periodic check-ins and learn and evolve uh, as you go forward. That was the perfect answer. We could spend another hour talking about that. We're going to move on to the third question, Jeff. Okay. What do you see as the key opportunities and challenges for hospitality technology companies in 2023 and beyond? All right, this is a softball. Uh, three words, labor, labor, and labor yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> is the answer. But, so that's one. The second is tied to the first, fewer team members, uh, wider areas of responsibility need to really you know, turn information or turning data into uh, information. You know, take yeah, and creation of actionable insights and data can be used to help automate and better inform. So labor, data, and just, you know, the pace of change will be a challenge. Uh, you know, as the saying goes, the pace of change we see today is unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime, but it's going to be far slow. It's far slower than what we'll see tomorrow. That recognition and embracing the fact that what worked yesterday may have to get changed uh, you know, tomorrow. I think our, the hospitality industry is evolving their operating model uh, and will need to continue to uh, evolve their operating model. So again, it's not a set and forget. You need to continually to evolve. And with that evolution, uh, guests and customer expectations are changing as well. And we all need to be well informed there and keep up with what those changing expectations are. And uh, I probably shouldn't just limit it to guests and customers, but colleagues uh, as well. But largely driven by the challenges with labor. 
you mentioned in a previous answer, you mentioned changing comp sets, competitive sets. And I'm wondering if, if you could explain a little bit more in terms of leisure versus group and how comp sets might be different. How do you see the competitive landscape of hotel products changing? First, I, I think it, it really, there is a meaningful and sizable shift uh, in expectations that it's not just selling a room, you're selling and providing experiences. You know, leisure is here to stay. I like to refer to group and leisure as leisure uh, travel as well. The evolution of the way we work and having these types of conversations utilizing technology uh, is going to evolve how hospitality ends up in servicing and caring uh, for guests. Uh, yeah, we may be on uh, the verge of the single largest crisis in commercial real estate. But with that opportunity, with that challenge comes, I think, some great opportunity for the hospitality industry. Groups and events are, are changing, and we're starting to see a new demand sector come from companies that have either gone fully remote or predominantly remote, that there still is a need for collaboration, for culture change, for innovation. And the, the types of events, they're getting a bit longer. Uh, you know, our, our, the recent data is showing we're seeing a sizable shift of smaller meetings going from one to two days to three to four days. You know, somewhere in that two to four day range, they're getting longer. And I think part of that is people are not necessarily, and especially in groups and events, feel the need to make that one day trip. We can communicate this way, but, you know, to really build relationships and that we would have been able to get through coming together in an office space, the hospitality industry is starting to fill that particular gap. And that type of need, it's a different type of need, different type of sourcing than it is with transient. And your transient business, you know, is sourced differently they have different expectations, and your products may be different that you're looking for. So understanding that we may compete for a hotel directly across the street from us as it relates to leisure uh, business, because people are coming to Chicago, for instance, to experience Chicago, where I may, if I'm looking to fill a group and event space, I may be more along the lines competing with a with a hotel in Memphis or a hotel in Charlotte or up in, in Milwaukee and really understanding the differences between your mix of business, where your source markets are, your feeder markets and group and event isn't necessarily the same feeder markets as leisure. And you know, I can go as far as then also suggesting that as leisure travel, you know, the revenge travel and the insane growth we saw with leisure travel, that is going to start plateauing uh, and uh, people will be pulling back a bit on their spend levels where group and events are starting to come back into the forefront and some are actually referring to the, this year and looking into next year as the year or years of groups and events. But back to 
change, changing expectations, changing dynamics, how business is sourced, it's sold and planned is evolving and changing. Jeff, we're going to move on to the fourth question here. What are the key things innovative leaders and entrepreneurs should prioritize and focus on to gain traction for their business? All founded uh, foundational in empathy, uh, Jason, going back to uh, uh, one of our prior points. But to keep it really you know, simple and crisp, uh, the three areas, you know, solving a problem in a pain point to make our customers' lives easier. It's all about removing friction to become indispensable. So the first one, understanding and solving for a problem, speaking in the language of your customers. The second, and we really didn't touch on this earlier, but uh, it comes to you know, the activation, avoid what I'll refer to as abandonment of technology you know, with proper training and user engagement. I would suggest that our industry, and we're probably not unique in this space, but we do not get full value for the technology we put in place. We all, and it's human nature, you've got emerging technology, I'll refer to it as yellow lab syndrome. We just get something in place and something new comes and we're off running to the next fall instead of taking care and making sure that the technology is in place, operates as intended, gets the outcome, and your staff is fully trained and understands how to use it in delivering um, you know, those experiences. And then you know, change is the opportunity as well as the challenge. You know, as entrepreneurs, as leaders of business, you need to get comfortable you know, with that change and to be able to evolve with it as well. And I probably, with that change, I would also suggest that the success of uh, an organization, an entity, really lies in collaboration. Uh, I often like to say collaboration breeds success. And as entrepreneurs, as providers of solutions, we need to be comfortable with partnering. And we also need to be comfortable with partnering with possible competitors in the spirit of co-opetition. Understanding and recognizing you can't answer every question and you can't be an expert in everything. Pick your partners wisely. Tight integration and, again, that collaboration and being open to the collaboration, don't be afraid of it, will lead to success. Jeff, do you get involved in a lot of these integration partner relationships because because they can be tricky, like you said? They can kill a deal because the integration never happens because uh, it can be so difficult to get you know the other partner to do what they need to do. And then there's blame game and then it, everything just falls apart. And, and I think in my experience, it's been several people need to maintain that relationship. And it, it's always helpful if the guy at the top, the gal at the top <laughs> is in it. Yeah, it, which is very much you know, spot on, Jason. And uh, you know, I've been around the block uh, enough times that I've experienced uh, great partnerships as well as a few that, that have faltered. And if I look and take a step back, and what is the difference? I think it really, it starts with having trust and building a relationship and that understanding in the forefront, taking the time to ensure that who you're partnering with 
you share the same value set and that you look at business and especially in a service industry, you have the same view of caring for your customers, caring for guests and taking the time to build the relationship, building and establishing the trust, ensuring you've got top down and bottoms up level of engagement is, is critical you know, to the partnership. Don't have hidden agendas. Don't hold any punches. Uh, be willing to talk about things that are not working. Uh, you know, it's human nature to uh, shy away from broken things and only talk about the things that are good. But the only way you'll learn from and create better partnerships and better relationships is learning from those friction points and where you may have failed or faltered. Why did you fail? And then how do you learn from that and bring it forward? Yeah, I guess uh, there I, there is a Japanese expression for adversity makes the best friends. I, it's on the tip of my tongue, but that's almost the perfect lesson to end things off here. Jeff, can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been fantastic, fantastic lessons. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. It, it's uh, my pleasure. Uh, I enjoy uh, watching the game podcast. And I was thrilled to have the opportunity to join you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Gain Momentum Podcast. To stay up to date, make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Gain Advisors, head to gainadvisors.com.